push, 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 push. Always make yourself feel uncomfortable. Always push yourself out of your, your comfort zone. Never say no to anything. Always do whatever's offered. Always make yourself... Being uncomfortable shows that you're making progress. Being uncomfortable shows that you're pushing away from that guy who felt completely unwelcome and unwanted in this place. Hello, I am Kay Anderson and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode, I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories that they created there, and the people that they used to know. Now, usually on this show, we talk to someone about a very specific time in their life when they went to a particular venue, which is kind of the whole remit of the show, right? But what we don't do that often is look at the same venue at different time periods and reflect on the journey and the growth that the person experienced in the intervening years. But today, James O'Hagan, writer, activist, and co-host of the Drag Race recap podcast, Sissy That Pod, visits us to tell us about, firstly, his first attempts at going out as a scared wee thing in his early 20s, and then coming back later on in his late 20s to have a totally different experience at Break for the Border, a bar that was found in Ireland's capital, Dublin. What I love about this conversation is that we talk about the differences in taking up space. And when you're young and terrified and unsure of yourself, you want to take up as little space as you possibly can. And then when you get older, you feel more able to do that and not like cocky or overconfident, but just like, yeah, I matter, I exist, and I deserve as much space as everyone else is getting here. And I really appreciated James's candor in this conversation. And also, I can't say Ireland that well. I sound Ireland. Can anyone give me tips? My journey as a gay man is intrinsically linked to the the intersection of being a fat person. Those experiences together are so completely linked that I've only come recently to understand the degree to which both have influenced Mm -hmm. each other. And so I absolutely didn't feel like I fit in with those people who were in that space at that time. And so I would go to that place because it was the only place where I could go to have people who felt like they were part of my community. But I yet didn't necessarily feel like I was actually really part of that community or belonged as part of that community. It was a place where almost I could go to see other gay people to prove to myself that they existed. But I didn't know how to integrate myself into Mm -hmm. it. As I came out when I was like 18 so it's one of like two or three years before that so you were gonna ask a question what was there no i just i want (laughs) to pick at what you said a little bit Mm -hmm. you said that your sexuality and your fatness are interlinked yes 
But without putting words in your mouth, it sounds as though you're describing them being at odds. I think they have been at odds because I think that mm. you, you, as you're growing up as a person, particularly in your teens, what you want to do is not stand out. Yeah. And when you're a queer person, you, you often find that you just have something within you that stands out to other people, even before it stands out to yourself. Like I remember I was only yes. thinking about kind of this over the last couple of days as I, as I knew we were going to be chatting about kind oh, of like... I like someone prepping. To, <laughs> when, when it was I could read that other people were noting something different to me that I wasn't even... And I was thinking back to even when I was in primary school, maybe seven, eight, nine, we would have had these sort of uh-huh. class discos. And at these class discos, you know, there would have been the fast songs and the slow songs. And I was always pulled up to dance during the fast songs, but then would be pushed to the side during the slow ones. And in looking back in it now, I understand from it that what was being picked up on there was a very sort of rudimentary kind of like, you're the sort of the gay friend almost, and you're not the person who there's the kind of like romantic connection to. Mm-hmm. And it was like mm-hmm. this sense of being an outsider or something you want to you you want to try and figure out what you can do change in yourself in order to make yourself fit in as a queer person I was standing out no matter what I did where as I walked through life presenting myself if I let my guard down if I wasn't careful about how I was behaving people would see that there was something that made me different and as a fat person it was the same but in a this was in, in, a, in a visual way that I could touch and feel and that could be physically pointed at and, and, and sort of addressed. And I did have, I suppose, over the, the course of my teenage years and into my 20s as someone who was lacking confidence and, and overweight, you would have people looking at you and telling you the shape of your body is inappropriate, the way your body is, is wrong, and you as a result of that are wrong. And I suppose like I then was trying to, address both of these differences within myself and figuring out kind of like who I was and where it was that I would feel comfortable in order to just be myself. And so Mm -hmm. when I first started going to queer spaces, what I found was that my fatness made me othered in those spaces. So I didn't feel comfortable in queer spaces because when I walked into them, like we had, a, you know, we, we were joking about the, the belly top twinks and the, you know. I wasn't joking about that. I was just, <laughs> I'm horrified at the idea of belly tops. <laughs> but no, but there is, there is, when I was first engaging with the community, my first engagement with the mainstream sort of, the community as say it was represented on like queer as folk was one where fat people didn't exist in the gay community. And so I would go in to break for the border because I had nowhere else to go to indulge the queer part of who I was. I suppose because you always have that compulsion to meet the need of this part of your identity. And so I would go back to this space, you know, with the sort of one or two friends I had in the community. And I would always have the same experience of thinking, you know, there's a shirt I can buy that's going to make me fit in. There's a haircut I can get that's going to make me fit in. There's a, you know. And if it's early thousands, there's body glitter, right? (laughs) Very much like that. That is it. Like everyone looks like Adam Rickett from Coronation Street. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hideous. Please, please no. So let's paint in the picture a bit more. In the early thousands, where were you at? 
what were you doing? Did you grow up in Dublin or did you, had you moved to Dublin? What, what was going on? So I, I'm, I'm from the outskirts of Dublin originally. So live in, in, in north of the county. So I'm, I'm very lucky by rural gay standards and that the sort of the trip to Dublin was just a 40 minute train. Uh, I came out when I was around 18, which was, which was in the year 2000. Uh, I had just seen Queer as Folk and just kind of had my mind blown by the fact that sort of suddenly there was a name for the thing I'd known I was for for years prior to that and I started college in UCD um which was over on the the south side so the entire opposite side of Dublin but I had been I lacked a lot of confidence in myself when I was a, a very young child I was very showboaty I was very much more as I am right now sort of as a child mm-hmm. I, I had mm-hmm. a lot of personality I had a lot of you know pizzazz I, I, I like to be entertaining and, and as I sort of grew up and that wasn't necessary and I didn't have the interest that sort of other boys would have I think this is a very similar sort of insert sort of um, standardised <laughs> gay child Listen experience Listen to episode 273 <laughs> yeah, Exactly yeah. <laughs> But so yeah as, as, I, as I had grown up like as, as, as I was sort of you know going through my, my teen when I would let my authentic self out it would usually come back on me in a negative way that I would find myself mm-hmm. being the butt of a joke or I would find myself being bullied or I would find myself being highlighted or or sort of focused on in a, in a negative way mm. I went to an all boys sports school so you know an all boys sports Why? boarding school Why would you do that? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> because I suppose who knows perhaps my parents saw the GAA ball uh, and um, whatever would would be able to sort me out but what that taught me in that period of my life was that the things that made me stand out the sort of more flamboyant parts of my nature the sort of louder parts of my voice the 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 bigger parts of who I was were things that like literally would put me in danger they would put me into a space uh-huh. where I was going to be picked on and so I left secondary school to go to college with this absolute sort of like if you can imagine this sort of I, I always think about like the scene in Titanic the kind of like you're you're on the door in the sea you're, you're floating there you're, you're kind of like hanging on for dear life so, I, so are you Leo or Kate? I'm Kate of course like all okay. good gay boys okay. all right. <laughs> Says, says. I, and I mean, now I'm Celine, you know, so it's fine. But <laughs> I think I'm the old lady. <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably that's closer to what I am too. But also, I, I, in my last year of, of secondary school, I'd made a couple of, of of friends in a drama group up in in a town up the road from me, and I was hanging on to those friends like that door frame in the Atlantic Ocean when the when the, the Titanic sank and. There was a terror of trying to push beyond where I felt comfortable. And when I went to college, I joined the LGBT society, the LGBT society as it was at the time, and made one good queer friend who remains a friend of mine to this day, but was so terrified of pushing myself beyond where I felt extremely comfortable outside of the friends I had made that I felt were hard won over over a period mm-hmm. of of a very difficult period that I, I just was terrified at the idea of putting myself in a space where I could be humiliated or laughed at. And so I would go into the hot property night at the time, the Glitz nightclub down those big steps into the sort of everything covered in chrome, everything playing, you know, spinning around by Kylie constantly on a loop. And 
I would just instantly clam up and be like, I don't belong here. This is not for me. I shouldn't be here. And every night I would be there, I would have this. Every night I would go, I would drink too much, get maudlin and end up leaving. Or I would attempt to throw myself at poor some poor unsuspecting, nice looking boy who was uh, minding his own business and, and wasn't really out for a night where he was going to have to comfort me in all of my baggage. Ah, well... I want to hear all about that baggage. Yeah. <laughs> before we dig into it, or actually, this is a really crude question. Yeah. And I know it's not going to be as simple as one over the other. But in terms of when you were at school and when you were othered, were you more othered for your queerness or for your fatness? Well, that's a simple answer. Uh, and it is black and white oh, because okay. it was my fatness, because I could suppress my queerness ah i i have talked to um i was gonna say many counselors but i thought to, to a number of counselors over the years it's as i've managed to sort of like go to that journey of like unpicking all of the mm-hmm. like like it's, I've, I've opened up my my brain like that drawer that has all of the the cables in it and the the christmas lights and i've unpicked them all beautifully now but I would have described myself during my secondary school period as being just completely blank, just being completely devoid of any personality, any sense of any spark. And it's it's interesting because in, in the more recent years, as I have sort of looked back at that period of time, when I did start pushing myself further out beyond my comfort and started building more of a life for myself within the queer community and accepting that queer part of myself. I used this earlier part of who I was as something of a whipping boy. And so I sort of was like, you can't be that person forever. And I was so angry at the earlier part of myself who had hid who he was, who had felt so much shame, who had felt so much anger for who it was at, at as a child, more or less. And it's now mm. as I've kind of been able to reassess that, I suppose, like, I feel so sorry for who I was at that point because mm. I had been conditioned over years not to express myself, not to say anything about who I was or else I would be exposed to othering, bullying, mm. abuse of, of, of one kind or another. And so is it an obviously very simplistic way of looking at it and very broad brush, but when you we're starting to display the flamboyance or the the queerness, you learnt very quickly that that was not acceptable or that that was going to get you in trouble. So you clamped down on it and then just survived for your high school days. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I suppose I had... So I had, when I was very much younger, I lived in in Malahide with with my sort of my extended family. And we moved at a sort of a rather crucial point for in a child's development, like as you're kind of in that kind of period in, in your earlier primary school period where you're making friends. I moved from what had been sort of a, a bigger, more urban primary school to a rural primary school where I clearly didn't fit in. And sort of in that period of time, I... I learned very quickly, as you said, about sort of the fact that the, what it was, the flamboyance, the the stuff that would have singled me out as being a different type of child that I needed to shut that down or it would come back on me. And also I put on an awful lot of weight because I was no longer surrounded by people who I knew or with friends or with people I felt I could trust. So kind of it was this sort of yin and yang might not be the right word, but it was sort of, the, I suppose, like 
in that couple of year mm. period, I shut myself down. The, I shut the queerness down because it was something that had been sort of getting unwanted attention. And then the fatness grew out of it because I wasn't, I, I suppose I didn't, I, I had, didn't have a space to express myself. So I start, so in that shutting down, I, I suppose I just, I comforted really. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And so by the time you were in high school, in secondary school, you were just trying to not be noticed. Completely. Okay. I, I went into, I, when I went into first year of secondary school, the, there was only one or two other people from the school I had been in prior to that went to the same secondary school and they were the two people who had bullied me in my in my primary school. Oh, so I was very much, when I walked into my first year in, my, in, in secondary school or high school, I just was like, I need to just fly completely under the radar. And then for about, for about five years, that's what I did. I just was, I blended into the furniture. I blended into the walls. The only time I would be seen was if it would be that sort of fear of, I don't want to be seen. The, the absolute terror of being seen or being kind of asked a question or being noticed within a, within a space. And things then like PE, physical education, as happened for so many fat children and gay children, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. physical exercise mm-hmm. where you're being placed into this thing that you don't feel comfortable became this sort of space where it was the only place you couldn't hide yourself and you really stood out for all the yeah. wrong reasons. And you were just piling more and more blame on top of yourself for the fact that you were you were standing out. Mm. I wanted to shift forward a bit quickly, but before we do that, you've just reminded me of my first day of high school. And what you're saying secondary school, am I supposed to say sec- is that like what you call it in Ireland? Secondary, secondary school would be an Irish thing, yeah. So Okay. Yeah. Well, I, like my my high school was called Brighton Secondary School, so I don't know why I'm calling it high school. But anyway, <laughs> so um I was the faggy kid who only had female friends and they all said to me, oh, we're all going to meet here on the first day before we like go into the assembly or whatever Mm -hmm. and get introduced. And they were lying to me because they were actually all going to meet somewhere else and they wanted to ditch me. Oh my God. And you've just reminded me of that. But... Despite that, and despite the fact that everyone was really shitty to me, I knew that I was like fucked without them. And so I hung on to those friendships, which is what you've reminded me of when you so vividly painted this picture of, what's her name? Kate Winslet hanging on to the door or whatever (laughs) that came out of the boat. You know, that boat. (laughs) Is that your experience as well? Like people treating you really shittily, but you felt as though you had no choice but to hold on to those friendships. Uh, Yes. Well, yes and no, in that I suppose that there was, over the course of my my secondary school experience, I, you know, if you imagine that, that great American high school thing where there's the tables laid out and there's like these type of people sit over there, these people sit over mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the the freaks, weirdos and sort of losers sit at that table over there. By virtue of the fact that obviously a number of people had fallen through the filtration system and ended up at the bottom of the barrel, th- there was a group of us that did form. And I think that, and this is where, you know, that sort of Violet Chachki does this and Cassidy Cook community just I... The strength I like to think I've had all through my life is a is a potentially egomaniac level of, of self-belief in some ways and an ability to think, well, I could do better or I should be able to do better or I deserve better than I'm being treated. And 
obviously in the moments where I was sort of at the lowest of my ebbs, like that was quietened but I always felt like I deserved better than I was being given and so I looked around at these people who I sort of ended up by default put with and I sort of felt frustrated and angry because I was like and this makes me sound like a horrible person because all these people within their own way were they weren't listening to this don't worry (laughs) that's true but like all of these people (laughs) in their own way they they all had ended up in this group by default. So we all deserved better because we all deserved to have friends who Mm -hmm. we actually had a connection with and and people who we actually wanted to sort of build relationships with. That wasn't the case in this particular group. It was, you know, a kind of a a group of misfits who were stuck together by virtue of the fact that we'd all been labelled losers. And I suppose I never really enjoyed hanging out with these people. They had interests that were completely different to mine. They listened to music that I, I, but I, but then again, as you said, I did. Now just thinking about this, I'm realising absolutely I clung on to them. I dyed my hair black. I listened to new metal. I, I, I bought that Limp Bizkit album. <laughs> Whereas I, I was like, I remember. Are I go, you sure you want to say that on the record? I, like, I, I think I need to own it. I have to own it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I had I, now even thinking about this. So like as I got into kind of later school and like that group of people had sort of formed there's nothing wrong with gamers and I have lots of my lots of my friends are kind of, you know, gamers and and and, and feels in, like there's a butt coming here. But I'm not naturally <laughs> like I don't connect with those people on that level in that space. And I had to go into that space to fit in. And so I felt ob- obligated to pick up a lot of these sort of, you know, mm-hmm. hobbies or mm-hmm. interests that were things that I was painfully you know, not interested in or actively disinterested in and pretend to have likes that I absolutely didn't have. Like I I used to have like a a box where I would hide my S Club 7 and Steps albums in case, (laughs) in case, you know, people would like, I, I remember like when Avril Lavigne emerged, I was like, oh, thanks be to God. A female artist I can unashamedly enjoy because for some reason people have decided that she can get taken seriously. But yeah, so I I, I adopted this like new metal persona for a while where I was kind of that's what I was. Enjoying. And throughout an awful lot of my life, I suppose, actually, if I look at it now, I've done that. Like I'm I'm an era album producer. You know, I went through my new metal experience back in uh, secondary school. And then as I moved into college, I went into this like extreme of extreme kind of judgmental indie music listener tying ties onto various parts of outfits carrying four or five messenger bags and wearing a Russian hat like anything I could do to make myself look you know look how interesting I am I'm gonna shout how interesting I am in your face and I suppose as while I've never managed to to find a like for new metal music elements of each of those eras certainly do exist within who I am now Now, I know this is not important to the story, but I just need to ask, in the box that had your S Club 7 and Step CDs, were there any Bewitched CDs? Yes, I would say they were. Okay, good. I'm also going to come out now and admit that my my first ever concert was a Bewitched concert. (gasps) I remember within this group of sort of misfits and weirdos, I was given responsibility for purchasing tickets for, I can't remember who was playing. It might have been OREM potentially were playing. And I was supposed to be <laughs> to be buying tickets for for them. Or was it 
maybe I can't, who knows? It doesn't matter. I was supposed to be buying tickets and I went and the tickets were sold out. And so the days before mobile phones and being able to text, it was just like, you know, and they'd said, oh, if the tickets are sold out, just get tickets for something else. And so I was like, oh, well, the tickets for Bewitched are available. So me... <laughs> <laughs> my, my army of Fred Durst loving Lincoln Park heads all sort of begrudgingly marched along to go to this bewitched concert. And honestly, you know, for the first time in my life, I lived. I lived. When those girls crawled down that net onto the stage of the Point Depot, I was like, here I am. This is who I am. And it took me years then, I suppose, to, to be like, to, to reacquaint myself with with the James who watched Bewitched that day. <laughs> <laughs> and the best thing about going to a Bewitched concert is that you're double the size of everyone exactly, else Exactly, so 100%. No one's in your yeah, way. Yeah, I'm able to see over <laughs> all of the eight-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> right, as much as I would love to keep talking about Bewitched, let's let's get back to Break to the Border. And you were telling me about the midriff touting, touting midriff <laughs> bearing, the midriff bearing men, well, boys, twinks. Twinks, yeah. Boy, For, twinks, men or boys? I would, I would always go like with boys, in this but space. I suppose they are in that middle space. So I do it's kind boys, of derogatory. But it is kind of derogatory to do that, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Now, for mm. me, every, everyone is a child nowadays for me, so. <laughs> but we'll go men. We'll go men. So everyone was a consenting yeah. adult. <laughs> yes. So those twinkish men with no hair on their bodies, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. you were there and you felt like, oh, this doesn't, I don't really fit in here. I don't really understand what I'm doing in this space. How can I fit in? You were saying before that you were drinking and then throwing yourself at people. Were you throwing at them like sexually romantically or just like, here, I want to offload? I think I would have been too absolutely, too inexperienced in order to be throwing myself at people in a sexual romantic way. It would just have been in kind of a, I know that I have an impulse within me to try and connect with people here, to try and build something, whatever. So I don't think it ever at that stage would even have gone as far as in my mind of thinking, oh, maybe I might like get a shift or kiss someone. Like, I think there was always a sense of like, you know. Get a shift? Yeah. <laughs> have you not had the shift? Of is the this a, <laughs> no, what is this? Getting the shift means like, you, you know, you, you there's sort of like ultimate sloppy teenage kiss at a, at a, at a, at a you've drank too much uh, disco or at a kind of like some grimy nightclub. Ah, but it's, it's very like, teenage or I would I would associate it more with like teenagers and early 20s like that's the, the time period okay. where I think people get the shift get the shift <laughs> what's, what's what's the origin of this honestly very... I actually couldn't tell you I think that's another podcast that you could make okay you okay could... sorry sorry <laughs> So you, you weren't getting the shift. I absolutely wasn't getting the shift. And I can put that down to inexperience and to, to a lack of self-confidence, absolutely. But I also was clearly not the 
sort of person that men were pursuing. You know, you would see eye contact glances and people would be making, you know, sort of passes and you would be clearly being overlooked. And I do recall like you would go to the George or you would be in Break for the Border or wherever the queer night was happening. And if you were dancing, you would very obviously see people laughing or pointing and like I remember one time when I was on the stage in the George so every good gay bar has a stage that people can dance on and I was up there with some friends and there was a guy standing in front of me and he was a cute guy and we were dancing within the same vicinity and then I overheard his friend say to him like oh looks like you're in with the whale or something like that like it was Mm. one of those and I just remember the damage that that did to me because after that I absolutely was just like right well at that point then I when I go into these spaces need to remain completely statuesque I much not move at all or I will be seen to, to be to be mocked but so I absolutely put my hand up to say that at that stage I wouldn't have had the experience or the ability to schmooze a, an individual or you know kind of make relationships but also I was absolutely being overlooked as a result of my weight. Like people were not interested in 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 trying to to get to know me or making a pass with me romantically or anything like that. So it was sort of hand in hand. Mm-mm. But you were never emboldened by alcohol or I don't know your friends. No, no, I wouldn't have been. I think that sort of the shame ran so deep that mm. not not even um, multiple blue wickets could shift it off in order to, to motivate myself, to put myself out to the extent that I would have needed to in order to try and kind of get to a stage where I was kind of like romantically pursuing someone. And like, you know, I've always been somewhat oblivious as well to the signals being sent by other people. And I, for a while you think, oh, that's just because I'm like a little bit oblivious in general. But I think it's actually because I've built up defences or walls to just assume that there's a negative connotation of interest is being shown or that mm-hmm. it couldn't be that the intention is kind of positive if someone is showing you attention it's because they feel obligated to or because they want or need something so you kind of Mm -hmm, see looking mm -hmm. back how maybe at the time there was possibly was signals I was missing but yeah it's a funny thing as well because you I'm gonna sound really new age and crappy here but like you know the energy that you're putting out is the energy that you get back and so when you are in these spaces and you're like I'm undesirable I'm unattractive sorry I'm sorry I'm saying these words but like when you're feeling that way people don't like respond to you you're you're completely right when when you are putting out an edgy sort of obviously uncomfortable vibe Mm. people will feel that from you and it's going to put people off from trying to, to come into your space or trying to, to, to get to know you. And I think, Or even worse, they come up to you and say, smile, it might never happen. And then you just stand there feeling terrible with a big fake smile on your face. <laughs> oh, no, but I, I get that. Like, I know that in my early 20s, I was going out a lot. And like wanting to connect, but then also terrified of connecting with people. Yeah, I I sometimes wonder about that. Is it because your journey as a queer person is nomadic for the Mm -hmm. as long as you were on it until you you sort of come out? And in my case, I came out and and, and I'm assuming for lots of gay men, it's similar. Like you, you come out first to a group of close female friends. And certainly within my experience, 
you know, my female friends were very accepting of the fact that I was a gay man and they were very accepting of, of, of my sexuality and they would have wanted me to flourish as a gay man. But they also weren't, Ireland wasn't at the place where they would have felt like, oh, well, we'll bring you to a gay bar. You know, we are the people who give you that feeling of safety and security. So we mm-hmm. will bring mm-hmm. you to that place and then you can express yourself or you'll feel more comfortable. In fact, with a number of them, there was a sense of, Actually, they they let me know that they would have felt uncomfortable going into a gay bar, you know, because of the famous, you know, marauding lesbians who are looking for any straight girl to just like pounce on top of that doesn't exist. They're rampant. (laughs) Absolutely. Which is why we keep them out of gay bars, you know, send them up into the mountains, give them a load of Birkenstocks and let them off. Um, But no, so I think that you because it is kind of a nomadic experience in some ways that mm. it can be hard to get to the point where you start like lowering the defences to actually let people in because it's a journey you've been on your own for so long. Or it's just such a letdown when you've built up in your <laughs> mind like for all these mm. years, like, oh, I'm going to find my people. And then you get to a gay bar and you're like, oh, this, these people kind of suck. <laughs> I mean, there is definitely that. Like I, I certainly had that experience of arriving for the first time in this queer space and sort of, over the course of a year or so of knowing I was gay and getting ready to go to college and whatever that was going to mean, kind of thinking, oh, this gives me an opportunity to connect to people and then arriving in. And it was like, oh, I still carry the same shames that I had outside Mm -hmm. of there. And now also I feel as if I'm not living up to a a beauty standard. (laughs) And like, and also everyone is so self-involved in their own stuff that no one is, no one, no one has kind of like turned down the music to come over and line up and introduce themselves to me. Like, oh, welcome. Yeah, welcome. New gay, are you? Nice to... <laughs> Let me stamp your card. Yeah. 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 That, that's definitely true of my experience of being like, yes, it's going to be a community and I'm going to meet my people and I'm going to like make sense of myself and make sense of my position in the world. And then it's just a whole bunch of other people who are as messed up as me and and unable to connect. Or, yeah. And from my perspective, it looked as though they were all connecting and I was the only one that wasn't. But that was a fully self-centered perspective. But I, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm exactly there with you. Like I was looking around <laughs> to be like, how are all of these people flourishing? How am I standing here in the in the middle of Stonewall, New York, as it may feel? And I'm like shut out from all of the fun and joy that's happening. Uh, and it, like... I, <gasps> Are you the brick? <laughs> That's I was. Yeah, I I was the first <laughs> brick thrown at, at Stonewall <laughs> by a marauding lesbian. But ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I keep keep interrupting you. So go. What was the question? What was going on? Well, there were twinks. There were exposed navels. There was you in the early noughties. I so I left college obviously as you do and got Mm -hmm. a job and I think that because I I had my little sort of door frame in the ocean that I was clinging on to and it had expanded to include some friends that I had made in the course of my time in college and I was feeling kind of you know contented within this little world I was building and I suppose because I had not necessarily had a successful integration with the gay community I kind of just like stuck my fingers in my ears and decided that I was going to just almost ignore it or not even think about it or just kind of go like this well this is something that I you know and so I probably over the course of my 20s so from say 2005 till 2011 I was Uh probably only in gay venues maybe 
four or five times. I just completely ignored my queer identity. I just felt as if I I had my group of five or six friends. I had my job. I I, I was like, it just looked like too big a hill to try and climb at that time. And so the five friends, were they all filthy heterosexuals they were all filthy heterosexuals Mm. they were all filthy heterosexual females who were you know one or two would have been similar to me in that they also weren't like you know the the luckiest romantically so we had our little sort of tragic singledom sort of parties stay in and watch bridget jones's diary we we very much did or we would go to like the the old man pub from like when we were about like Mm -hmm. 24 25 and sort of sit there until 11 and then walk home complaining about nightclubs you know i mean it, it was i look back at it now and sort of you know you, you shouldn't regret parts of your life but it is a part of your life where i'm kind of going god could you not have just gotten a clue a bit earlier but like a wake-up call came in the form of a friend a very good friend of mine good female friend of mine who i would say was in a similar kind of late bloomer category to me she had this sort of renaissance moment and was like if i don't fucking do something about this i'm just going to end up on the shelf the rest of my life and so she threw herself out enthusiastically into the world of of dating and boys and let the shame wash over and i suppose i had this thing of like suddenly seeing that i was like well if she can do it why am and i doing it I just had this, like, realistically, like it was, this all happened over, like, a Christmas period. It happened, like, around New Year's. And I literally have a memory of, and I, I you know, it's, it's, it feels too much like something constructed for a TV or a movie to actually be real. But it, it actually it genuinely did happen. <laughs> I was living in an apartment in Temple Bar, which is right in the centre of, of Dublin City. It was maybe about 100 metres away from where the massive, big New Year's celebration was happening on College Green. And so... I had made the decision that I was like, right, new year, new me, I'm going, this is sort of, I think, 2011 going into 2012, you know, that kind of time. I was like, I'm going to start the new year as a fresh, kind of get a fresh start. I'm going to tackle the weight by kind of going to the gym. I'm going to not go out on New Year's Eve. I'm going to, you know, really just like turn my life around and all of this. And I lay in bed sort of to get my early night, but wasn't able to sleep because I was right in the middle of like the biggest party in the entire country. And and also the apartment I was living in backed onto one of the three gay bars in the city. What? <laughs> I know, I know. I could literally hear the distant sounds of queers celebrating and kissing and going home together and dancing and playing Robin or whatever it is gay people do. Something Scandinavian anyway. Yeah, exactly. And I lay there in bed, unable to sleep because of the noise, with this sort of distant sense of like parties happening everywhere else except in where I was. Are you about to tell me you were visited by the ghost of queer Miss Past? I very much was. Or I was <laughs> or the ghost the ghost of queer Miss Future. But it was it was actually it was my my uh, a Christmas queer Miss or a New Year's queer Miss or whatever. <laughs> but it, it was this sort of real feeling of I am going to be lying here adjacent to all of life that's going on right beside me if I don't start making changes. And I think that's when, like, that sort of flame that I said that was inside me, that the sort of feeling that was inside me that I, that I was capable of more or that I had more to offer, 
mm-hmm. it, it ignited that very evening <laughs> in me. Wow. And from that day on, I was like, I need to make myself a home within the queer community, because if I don't make myself a home within the queer community, I am going to be very, very lonely at the point at which my wonderful female friends are all settled down and doing their own thing. And I will find myself that isolated, lonely man who is sort of just mm-hmm. on apps trying to make connections, but only looking for sex because it's all they know how to, how to, it's the only mm-hmm. way they, they know how to feel comfortable connecting with people. And so that, mm-hmm. that, that was the, the changing point. And that actually brings me back then to, to the, the venue, which now had shifted from being the venue of all of our kind of like naval exposed twinks to the venue for Dublin Bears have their kind of big kind of annual party there. The Bear Fela happens and Break for the Border was where they had the Mr. Bear Ireland pageant on the last night of this big bear event. And I was I wouldn't have had a clue what the bear scene was. I didn't understand that there was a part within the community that was specifically for people who didn't fit into the traditionally accepted sort of mm-hmm. beauty standards. I didn't know that this I didn't know that this space was available to me and I didn't know that it existed. And it was through apps really that I started building friendships and it was like with almost with like a a mechanical sense of I am going to make friends I had not wanted to download Grindr I'd not wanted to do any of that because I felt too scared to do it and then I was like I'm doing it and I'm going to use it to make friends (laughs) okay so tell me like after you'd got visited by the ghost of queer miss future and you decided I'm going to become a fully practicing homosexual what was the plan and was it just downloading apps and making connections that way or were there There was, I, I suppose it was a multi-pronged approach. It was a, mm-hmm. we'll say it was a, basically the plan was say yes to every opportunity you get, push yourself to feel uncomfortable, make yourself go beyond where you feel happy and content. So it started with simply forcing myself to go and have a drink alone in a gay bar every Mm -hmm. so often, forcing Mm -hmm. myself in that very early parts of just going in and sort of trying to take some of the fear out of those spaces to just Mm -hmm. try and make him feel like places where I belonged, where I could like now, I suppose it's, it's amazing now thinking about how comfortable I am walking into and how I feel more comfortable now walking into a gay bar than I do walking into into a straight bar how I feel have that I have that feeling of like being more able to be myself and thinking back to that period of time where walking in there I felt almost as if the bar staff was going to be like no no not you not you you're 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 not you're not for here go on get out like that sort of feeling of like just how of how much you stood out so that was part of it also like I mean at that stage there was meetup groups that were going on for like kind Mm -hmm. of like you know afternoon teas and and I went to some of those spaces and I, I always felt quite um like I didn't know how to connect in that way I didn't know how to to kind of transform it from just a nice couple of hours hanging out in yeah yeah, to them being like oh maybe we should go to the cinema tomorrow or maybe we should go to to i don't know go for a run you know and it was it was to be fair to to my 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 ex-boyfriend i met someone who then became the catalyst to that and who sort of was the person who sort of 
ended up, I suppose, pushing through the door that I was afraid to push through. So I met someone mm. on Growler, I think it was, which was an app that I had had uh, only sort of recently discovered at the time when I met him. And it was sort of this space where kind of like the body type that I had was a desirable body type. People kind of were interested in me. Also, it was an app which didn't necessarily have the explicitly sort of sexual element that, say, Grindr had at that time. And so I met this person and very quickly we got into sort of a, a tumultuous and damaging and Ooh, terrible oh, relationship oh, but it was also oh, incredibly important i got to do like all of the like the teenage and mid-20s relationships that sort of i should have done in, in the space whirlwind. of like in one whirlwind <laughs> but also with someone who was incredibly comfortable in their queerness and incredibly comfortable in in their right to occupy the space that they occupied uh-huh. So you were talking earlier about not knowing what bears were at some point. Yes. Do you remember finding out what bears were? I do. There was in the toilets for, I can't remember if it was, I think it was Panty Bar at the time, I can't remember. Uh, Mm -hmm. And this was during my period of time where I was kind of going to venues for like a drink after work. And I was kind of like abrasive. There was like posters for bear nights and for bear events. And there was bear failure, which happened in March. And so in that earlier stage of the year, I suppose I had realized that this this whole sub community was was going on i found information about it on facebook i was putting all of these things together i was seeing photographs coming up from different events that they that they were, were doing and i says i and this is i suppose where the the partner or the the the, the ex comes into it is that where i was gearing myself up and who knows how long it would have taken me to gear myself up to go on my own when i did meet that person they were like this is happening but so i was learning that that scene existed i was seeing kind of more average i and I think it's actually, I suppose, what we say, even within my, my day job in LGBT Ireland, we talk about the fact that connection into the community helps you find the space where you feel most comfortable to be yourself. So if you are isolated mm-hmm. and outside of the community, you don't know what's available to you. So as mm-hmm. a person who was very much on the outside of the community, who hadn't understood what it was, didn't know what it made up of, it looked like a single entity that was there in front of me and sort of that was impenetrable. But then once mm-hmm. you even started walking into it to this sort of small extent that I did at that point, I started figuring out that, oh, there's different components and different parts to this. And there's places where people who look like me very much aren't accepted and aren't wanted and aren't appreciated. But there are places also where people who don't have that particular body type exist. And I suppose that started becoming more heartening. So then, initial gut reaction, what was it when you saw that poster in Panty Bar? What did you think? With a lot of the stuff over that period of time, it was an anxiety of knowing what I needed to do. It was knowing that, knowing I would have to get over the fear mm-hmm. in order to do that. And that I would have to push past the, the, the anxiety that I was feeling. And so was it all fear or was there a smidgen of excitement? Oh, yes. Well, yes, I think there was. I think that I mostly remember the the anxiety, though, because I, it, I suppose that what I would say is that it was anxiety 
that would lead to something positive if that if that makes mm-hmm. sense so like mm-hmm. i don't think in in advance of doing anything like kind of even even today like when i have something that i'm going to do that i even want to do or i'm looking forward to doing i lead with the more negative anxiety oh, or fear after my own heart yes. <laughs> and then afterwards when it's happened and i've gotten through it i i can relax <laughs> in mm-hmm, the in mm-hmm. the enjoyment but yeah i do push through obviously with the the anxiety first but i do think that there was also a relief there definitely was a relief because it was this feeling of like i'm not I'm, I'm not alone i'm not the only person out here i'm not the you know the sort of like the the light started shining and suddenly i saw other people clinging onto other doors i don't know why i've created mm. this titanic <laughs> based <laughs> um, analogy that'll run through <laughs> i'm i'm here to run with it i'm good i, I mean i i have to admit i haven't seen the film so we can't go too deep into this oh, analogy. that's okay. well we won't we just we have won't. to stay on this door <laughs> yeah. um and so then what came first downloading growler or going out on the scene going out on the scene happened first mm-hmm. but it didn't happen in a meaningful no way. No one tweaked your nipples. Exactly. I, I didn't mm-hmm. buy my harness until after I'd met. No. <laughs> but no, I think if I, if I like jump back to when I was in secondary school and I mentioned how I had made some friends up in like a drama group and it is the same problem that I had explained about kind of these other meetup groups that I had in Dublin, which is that I was going to this drama group for months and months and months and I was having a laugh with people and I was kind of enjoying myself and I was, you know, feeling comfortable. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until sort of another person like one of my school friends kind of decided they were coming with me because the thing I was going to had a load of women at it that then sort of his bullshitty kind of like oh I'm here Jack the Lad kind of certainty of occupying the space he was in that I then sort of like felt that I had the permission to start staying around so I think it was that I started pushing to go out more I started pushing my my female friends around me to to come with me to gay bars for drinks and I started pushing my queer friend from college who you know I I saw from time to time I started trying to sort of really build that relationship as well so that I was kind of able to be more in those spaces Mm -hmm. and it wasn't then until I downloaded Growler and met my ex that the the meaningful change started to happen. And that was just through us being out. It's so, I I don't like using the word random because it gets used too much, but I guess it is random though. Me and him happened to be out of a night within the first two-ish months of us being together. We were in Panty Bar, um, a guy who I had been talking to on Growler prior to us being together recognized me from the bar and came over to say hello uh, he started talking to my boyfriend at the time and then he invited us as a couple to hang out with him and his friends and then they invited us to hang out with some of their friends and then we got an invite to a party that was happening the following week and then as a result of that th- those people that I met on that night several of them have gone on to become my closest gay friends Mm-hmm. And, you know, I suppose you look back at it now and it's like it was the the fact that I was with someone who wouldn't have sort of shrugged off that experience or, or wouldn't have shrugged off that kind of like that person giving an opening into the because I think left to my own devices had that person come over to talk to me 
I I would have had a very polite couple of minutes of conversation and would have left it at that and would have, you know, felt as if ah, I... Why do you think that? Because you had all that experience with the meetup groups and you... But I just, I just, I think it's, I have like a, an overwhelming need to feel expressly invited and given, ex- like not so much anymore, but certainly at that time I needed to feel absolutely 100% certain that I had permission to be in a space that I was in. So I wouldn't have felt comfortable being somewhere that I didn't know or I didn't know that I had been pre pre-invited to like are you trying to say like every single person that was in that group had to make you feel No, like I'm not saying that, but say I would have probably not given him the opportunity to invite me I would have shut the conversation down after a few minutes due to stress of feeling that this person didn't want to be talking to me they were always being polite by talking to Ah. me they'd felt obligated to talk to you this is like this is my my um my counselor has made enough for a deposit on a mortgage helping me get to the other side of these issues (laughs) but so would you say that you are highly skilled in being socially awkward Extremely, yeah. Oh, I think it's okay. it's probably okay, my, most, my most marketable talent, <laughs> <laughs> as it is most podcasters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is just all an elaborate ruse for me to overcome my awkwardness. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not quite there yet. Someday I'll know how to make small talk. Someday, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was through that interaction and through that relationship and through kind of finding a section within the community Dublin Bears had monthly events in a small pub in Dublin called Jack Neelan's which was an atmosphere I was very at home in because it was that old man style of pub the the people who were frequenting it also looked very much more like me felt much more like I was part of it I I could even feel in that in in that period of time when I was going to those sort of nights this sort of sense that there was a desirability about me. And I think part Mm -hmm. of that was the fact that I felt like, well, this person here has decided I'm desirable and therefore that means other people must as well. But other parts of it was the fact Mm. that obviously there was that within the bear community, the sort of appearance I have, my body type is desirable. But so what was interesting was going back the following year, going back to the break for the border space for the bear fela and that at that stage i suppose and at events after subsequent to that reoccupying that space i always had this feeling going back into that venue of kind of the the shadow of the the version of me mm-hmm. that had first been there when i was first out and i think that i had always had this feeling of judgment of that person when I would go back in there with my friends and I would feel sort of secure in that space and like I belong here and kind of, you know, there was an anger that existed at that earlier version of me who hadn't maybe had the tools to to make himself fit in. So the judgment was he wasn't brave enough or? Yes. Yeah, the judgment would have been he wasn't brave enough. He wasn't capable enough. He refused to push himself. And even though, like, I mean, you know, this conversation we've had now, it's been sort of rambling and sort of all over the place. You can see within it that at every stage in every decision I've made to a point, it has come out of a place of fear and it's been built on experiences I had over my life. And that like an onion shedding the different kind of skins, you needed to get down past those places to become comfortable. I think that's where I 
I am now, as I look back over that journey that I've had, I'm able to be much more kind to that very first version of myself and towards that sort of second version where so much of the value I took of myself was the fact that I had a partner or I had someone who was vouching for me. I had this sense of like, I'm able to fit in here because someone else has kind of given me the permission to be here. So in that second part of my life, there was this feeling of, yes, you get to be here, but only because you've been brought in by someone else. And it's taken me probably a decade past that now to get to the place where I'm like unapologetically occupying the space and proud of who I am and all of the rest of that. Mm. I, I do want to hear about you being proud, but before I hear about you being proud, I want to hear more about this. <laughs> so that's really interesting that you're talking about only feeling able to occupy a space because you have this permission or this shepherding. And I guess, yeah, the question is pretty obvious. Like, why? Well, I... I... I do I do wonder actually if this is an experience that people who have experienced bullying or othering from a very young age have, which is that you don't feel as if what you have or what you're offering is of value and therefore mm. you feel you need someone else to sort of bring you in. Like vouch for you. Can't, can't, yes, vouch for you is exactly what it is. That feeling of like someone else is sort of saying this person does have the value or deserves to be here because just you being there yourself isn't mm -hmm. a strong enough endorsement or just like the belief in yourself isn't a strong enough endorsement. And also it's kind of selfish because and, and self-involved because you're thinking in this mindset that everyone is spending their time preoccupied over why that sort of chubby guy in the blue jumper is at the party instead of enjoying their own experiences. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine it's a very solid foundation for a relationship. Oh, you would not believe it. I mean, <laughs> let me tell Sounds you. Sounds really healthy. <laughs> <laughs> which is why we're so happily broken up today <laughs> but no i mean it, it obviously like it, that relationship is a is a is a it's another thing again it's sort of in this way kind of where you do an awful lot of counseling and then you look back on past times and with much kinder eyes the relationship was unhealthy as you might have deduced uh, and <laughs> certainly was tumultuous and not very good not a very good relationship for me to be in but Looking back at the positives I took out of it, I can't have anything but sort of fondness for both the memory of the time I spent with that person and indeed that person, mm -hmm. while also simultaneously really never wanting to see them again. <laughs> well, I mean, you wanted the experience of a 20-something-year-old romance and I think you got it. So <laughs> exactly, that's good news. yeah. yeah. <laughs> then how did you get from this person who needed that let's say emotional safety blanket of another person oh maybe oh that, that felt very judgy sorry I think, I didn't no that's that right that i think but, that is actually accurate to be honest with you okay okay so then how did you get from that to being like i am woman hear me roar <laughs> i this i mean this is where where it gets into the kind of like you know, I can look back at it now with the fondness of many years of counselling, but it is kind of in that same way of like a train. You know, that, what's that television programme at the train that's going through the, the ice? I've never Thomas watched the Tank it. Engine? Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> in my in my later 20s uh, or in my in my sort of mid to late 20s, as I pushed myself to to, to sort of, you know, 
take more risks and and find a way into the queer community i was like shoveling on bitterness and anger at an earlier version of myself to to sort of power that and then i suppose as that relationship turned more and more toxic i started using bitterness and anger at feeling trapped and unappreciated in that relationship and feeling as if i deserved better than i was getting from that person mm-hmm as a way to kind of motivate myself to push further and further into stuff. So at, at that stage, I made a decision to join a, a queer sports club and did that with some of the people I had met through that sort of growler bear scene. And in that kind of started feeling, I suppose the sports element was never for me. I didn't have a competitive feeling. I, I, I was by all accounts reasonably good at the the actual technicalities of of the game but i was i don't know why i'm being cagey about saying rugby like trying like not to give out the that it's that it's uh it's and a technicalities game of, of the game like what, i know what? yeah <laughs> but anyway i think i i wasn't good at the sports the sport wasn't for me i was not there for that but there was a social aspect to it and part of the social aspect to it was a fundraising aspect and within that fundraising aspect there was a drag show that was done once a year mm-hmm. and this opportunity came up to do this i had become good friends with one of the other guys in the club and he said we should do this and i suppose like deciding to do that was a changing factor that was what kind of pushed me that that for, sort of finally cut the tie between myself and the the partner in a way because there was like a lot of strained you know, there still remains a, a lot of discrimination or not discrimination is the right word, but oh. like, like kind of people wouldn't like their partner presenting in a feminine way. And particularly if it's a bear, if you're shaving off your hair and you're going to no longer kind of have that look, you know, it, 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 there was an element of that. Wait, so what you're saying is you were going to do drag and then that kind of acted as a catalyst for the relationship to end because he had a problem with it. But I think that within that I was doing the drag because I knew it would, you know, like, so it was like, I mean, we're, we're all making healthy decisions. What were here. we saying about this? <laughs> yeah, what were we saying about this being a healthy relationship? Yeah, exactly. So I'm not going to break up with you, but I'm going to make it so unbearable to be with me. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to adopt an entire new persona. No, but so that, that reconnected me to the child I was at five, who was like a performer, mm. who put on shows, who loved to to be the centre of the tension, who sort of enjoyed telling stories and drama and, and sort of, ha- and it, it sort of, it fit. Like I ended up doing drag at that show over the course of the next three years. And through that kind of got into podcasting by meeting some other people within the club who had had an interest in in, in that as well and you know there there I was being celebrated for the fact that I could be funny that I could be entertaining that there were these parts that were just completely mine and who I was and what was in me that was sort of was was being valued that that started building the actual solid foundations where I sort of had got a dodgy contractor in, in the form of my ex partner to, to put them in before I actually started building them properly. And, and then you and your analogies. I know. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to be like following on. It's like, what is going on? We're on the Titanic. Now we're on a building site. What is going on here? We're dancing in the moonlight. <laughs> It, it was doing that drag at that moment, I think, connected me back to something I loved, something I had loved doing. And it, it gave me sort of a purpose 
or gave me a feeling of that, that that I could have that I could do something that I loved doing and it started giving me that confidence in who I was and the things that I had been pushing down and the parts of my personality that I had spent sort of the past 20 years or longer even kind of you know making sure that they weren't visible suddenly I started finding that people really wanted to see them like people were really excited for me to be boisterous and loud and for me to be flamboyant and for me to be funny or me to be entertaining I think that you know it it pushed too far the other way briefly you know um (laughs) where I kind of was like oh the only reason they want me is because I'm the the hilarious um jester but thankfully we got a global pandemic and I had uh the covid breakdown and went into counseling and managed to do amazing work and now I'm very centered (laughs) and I say that flippantly but 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 in reality I had from, say, even the, the the stage where I first sort of started, like after I had my ghost of queerness past, I had like been on this sort of push, 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 always make yourself feel uncomfortable, always push yourself out of your, your comfort zone, never say no to anything, always do whatever's offered, always make yourself being uncomfortable shows that you're making progress, being uncomfortable shows that you're pushing away from that guy who felt completely unwelcome and unwanted in this place. And it was the space given to me by COVID that allowed mm. me to kind of actually settle with everything and sort of properly I just like gave me a space to properly process the the 20 preceding years. Mm. And can I make an observation? Yes. May I make an observation? I yes. And I'm not, I'm not like trying to make this like, oh, this is this huge like thing. I'm just making an observation and I'm just going to let it hang. It's really interesting that so much of your progression forward was fueled by hatred. Yeah, no, I know that. And that has actually been the cornerstone of what I've been unpacking over the past maybe two years, because like I talked about sort of looking back at things with kinder eyes, but really what I've, I have been doing that to myself and understanding that it wasn't the fault of the 22-year-old Mm. fat queer kid who was stood there in a space where he didn't feel like he fit in it wasn't his fault he didn't feel like he fit in and of course he didn't feel like he fit in he had spent his entire life being told that he was too fat and that made him ugly and that if he wasn't incredibly guarded about how he behaved he would become flamboyant and ridiculous and people wouldn't take him seriously mm-hmm. like it, like I look back now and it's, I do genuinely feel like I feel sad about how much self-hatred I carried because it, you you want to be much kinder. You, like you want, now I want to look back. I want to actually be able to go back to me of that age or me of years earlier or even me of 30 and just be able to kind of like give myself a hug and say, you're doing your best and you'll get there. Did you ever go to Break for the Border or... Do you have memories from your own queer scene that you want to share? Well, if you do, please get in touch. I want to create the biggest online record of people's memories and stories of queer clubbing. Go to lostspacespodcast.com and find the section Share a Lost Space and tell me all about what it is you got up to. You can also reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My handle across all three is Lost Spaces Pod. 
Find out more about James by following him on Instagram at jameso underscore Hagen, listening to Sissy That Pod wherever you find podcasts, or following Sissy That Pod on Instagram at Sissy That Pod. Lost Spaces is not only a podcast, but a concept record as well. I have been writing songs about queer venues and the people who used to live their lives there and will be releasing songs over the coming year. You can hear the first single, which is called Well Groomed Boys and is playing underneath my talking right now on all good streaming platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribed, left a review on your podcast platform, or just told people who you think might be interested in giving it a little listen to. I am Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces. Lost Spaces.